Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the in-camera testimony of Chris Wilson, a fellow lawyer and close friend of Alex Murdoch's. In this installment, we review further arguments between prosecutor Creighton Waters and defense attorney Jim Griffin, as Judge Clifton Newman weighs the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in this trial. That's all coming up right after the break. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It is the late afternoon of February 2nd, 2023, day 7 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, Chris Wilson finished his in-camera testimony by describing the aftermath of his confrontation with Alex Murdoch after learning about his fraudulent activities. As we begin today, Judge Clifton Newman asks Prosecutor Creighton Waters for his assessment of how much more evidence he expects to present regarding the defendant's financial crimes. Witnesses, do you anticipate on this matter? There's, there's a lot of moving parts, Your Honor. Uh, I do have a, a law firm witness that I would like to call on this particular uh, matter, uh, one of the partners. We have uh, the Satterfield matter. There is a confession of judgment, but we can present testimony on that as well. And we have a, a bank witness to uh, establish the financial condition of Alec uh, at the time these murders happened which was he was burning through cash like crazy. Uh, he was uh, out of options. The $793,000 was gone in no time at all. And I think the evidence is very compelling uh, that for an extended period of time, he had been living in a velocity of money uh, that is just really quite stunning. And he constantly had it to achieve more money to avoid the, the reckoning that was, uh, that was happening. And so it will show on that particular day that on June 7th, 2021, uh, when he's being, uh, you know, asked about these Ferris fees, uh, the financial condition uh, is, is not good. There's not that money there. He's extremely leveraged in the debt that he has. And there will be part of a history where he is forced to do all these things that we've been showing through Ms. Seconder to stay afloat and to stay one step, step ahead. And for the jury to understand the reality of what he was facing, uh, they have to understand the extent of what is being uh, potentially exposed. They have to understand why he would be doing these things and why he was out of time. Uh, this is not the kind of case where, and I, I don't know if you want legal argument at this point, um, but... Uh, well, I have a question. Yes, You're, sir. I guess this is still your answer. I don't know. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Judge. So, anyway, this is the kind of case uh, where, for example, he mentions the Bose case 
out of the gate. The boat case, the hearing was going to be that week. We will establish evidence that the hearing was to get access or get identification of his accounts. Once that happens, that he would be unable, uh, there would be not, not long before what had been going on would be exposed. And what we're talking about, and this is really how it's different from some of the other rest juste and other cases that you're looking at, is it's really about the fear of what is about to be exposed. And what we're talking about, again, is a decade of malfeasance and misappropriation that uh, ultimately would result in the charges that it's resulted in, as well as loss of his livelihood and loss of his uh, law degree. And that's the real fear that was there. And when we look at June 7th in particular, at that point in time, he's out of options. We've heard from Ms. Seconder that in the past, if he'd been able to pay that money or repay that money, then he could always kick that can down the road. Jeannie Seconder, whose testimony about her discovery of the defendant's financial improprieties we covered in previous episodes of this podcast, was the CFO of Alex Murdoch's former law firm, Peters Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich. But on this particular day, the state uh, believes we have evidence, and we believe it's a reasonable inference from those evidence, that evidence that he was out of options. But for the jury to really understand what's going on, they have to understand the full picture of what this man has been doing and what he's been trying to hide. And frankly, what he was able to successfully hide in the wake of these murders. The bank witnesses will also establish relevant specifically to this particular witness and the events that you've heard about is that one of the first things that Mr. Murdoch did, business related, was to secure $600,000. He got a, a loan from PSB, Palmetto State Banks, that wasn't even on the books. They just wired the money. Russell Lafitte wired the money, 350 bucks. He borrowed 250,000 from another person, and that's the 600 that he gave to Chris that he used to talk Chris into telling uh, PMPED that all 792 were back in the account. And so again, that's one of the first things he did to stave off the inquiry that very morning, 6721, was to get that money in there, and it did. It staved off the inquiry. The fact that Ms. Seconder, there had been a number of things that had been occurring over a while, uh, ultimately turned her attention back to Alec, it doesn't change the fact that it did effectively uh, delay that time period and delay the, the ultimate uh, detection of that. And he was able to put that money in, much as he was able to do when he stole $125,000 from his brother or he used the firm credit card or what we see throughout, this, uh, throughout the extent of his financial uh, matters. So the bank witness ultimately will establish two things. Number one, his financial condition at the time, and number two, uh, his efforts in the wake of the murders to secure that additional money uh, so that he could get enough back to Chris Wilson to talk him into telling the law firm that there was nothing to see here, that everything was okay. And frankly, it worked until two things happened. Number one, Ms. Seconder started to look back at the Hirschberg matter, and then more importantly, and we have a, a law firm witness, I uh, don't know what I, the check's up on the screen, that found this check right here, this very one, in his office right around that same time in early September. And at that point in time, they knew that he had been lying to him, them about these particular fees. And that's what caused everything to unravel. And then, just like we see, Your Honor, with what happened on June 7th, 2021, within a short period of time, the side of the road happens. And Alec immediately claims that he was the victim of a horrible attack. And everyone immediately assumes that the bad guys are back. There's a symmetry, Your Honor, between what happens on the side of the road and what happens on June 7th, because when the hounds are at the door, when Hannibal's at the gates for Alec Murdoch, violence happens. And the same thing happened 
on the side of the road that happened on June 7th. And for this jury to understand the real picture of this man that I, I will remind your honor, I know you're well aware of, that they have already repeatedly put into issue his character and what a loving father he was and all the rest of it. They need to understand really what this man was hiding. And he was hiding something we have never seen before. And the pressures of that are important for the jury to understand why this man might do that. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Judge Clifton Newman invites defense attorney Jim Griffin to respond to Creighton Waters' argument. Mr. Griffin, any comments yep. you'd like to make? Yes, Your Honor, I would like to re respond. The, what, what you've heard thus far today does not establish that Hannibal's at the gate in any form or fashion. What, what you heard from... Ms. Seconder, is that, quote, there's a history of trust and brotherhood in the firm and that some similar events have happened in the past where Alec had been overdrawn with the firm through you know, loan checks or expense checks and that eventually the money gets paid back and everyone goes about their merry way. I mean, that is basically what she's, she testified to, Your Honor, and the and this this sort of concept that that Alec committed murder to cause a delay in the firm investigating this diversion of fees was debunked by her own testimony where she said number one Mr. Randolph Murdoch was going back in the hospital to die and that I stopped in my tracks and I became a friend and stopped looking and that Mr. Murdoch did die I means that's what stopped her conversation and that's what stopped her inquiry on June the 7th by her own testimony. And then you go forward and then she says she passed it off to Lee Cope. And then Lee Cope kept following up and, and he communicated with Mr. Wilson. As we have mentioned in previous episodes, Lee Cope is an attorney who is investigating irregularities in the defendant's financial dealings. Jim Griffin also references Chris Wilson, whose testimony we covered in our last two episodes. And Mr. Wilson sent an email. Alec had gotten money back into to the account. And frankly, Your Honor, if this plays out, as we attach to our response the uh, draft transcript from the trial testimony in Russell Lafitte's case, that Mr. Murdoch had in progress at Palmetto State Bank a loan application to get refinancing, and that Maggie's murder stopped and delayed that. And it had the complete opposite effect. effect. He, wasn't, he wasn't at the end of his rope. I mean, the murder of Maggie actually caused a delay in the refinancing of the Edisto house, and, and, and it 
precluded getting additional loans from Moselle. And so those are the facts. And how murdering Maggie Murdoch and murdering Paul Murdoch eased his financial stress, it didn't. There's no financial gain, as we said. There's no life insurance. There's nothing to be gained by it. And so there's no logical connection from his disastrous financial house and, and potentially having to answer to, to financial misconduct within the firm, losing his law license, being criminally prosecuted. And, and it's all just a theory. There's no fact. It's all just a theory. But the theory is to, the best way out is for him to murder his wife and son and put himself bullseye in that circle that you heard about in the testimony of this case and that he is the prime suspect number one because he's the father, he's the husband, he finds the bodies, they, he, they show up and he's holding a shotgun and he does that to get out from under scrutiny of a $700,000 diversion of fees with a history of trust and brotherhood in that law firm? Your Honor, that's, there is no logical connection whatsoever and it does not lead to evidence of motive and it you know we can have more testimony but but frankly your honor it, it doesn't meet and then if we go into 403 and unfair prejudice I mean you heard a lot of unfair prejudice here but but the undue delay confusion of the issues to the jury I mean they've got you know a whole lot more evidence about financial misconduct than they have about a murder and evidence of guilt in the murder case and that's what this is all about Judge Clifton Newman turns to Creighton Waters and asks, With regard to the um, list of other witnesses that uh, Mr. Waters indicates that the state has, for purposes of the court being able to do an analysis as to um, whether there's clear and convincing evidence, uh, you've indicated with regard to some of the witnesses, some of the files you I did not contest them, but if you have a few employees from the law firm, including uh, Lee Cope, Mr. Murr, Ducks, Secretary or Administrative Assistant, excluding someone from the bank, who's the other person you mentioned? Prosecutor Waters' response to Judge Newman. Well, we have also uh, the Satterfield, which, of course, we have a confession of judgment. For Again, for purposes of this hearing, that, that might be sufficient for your court's analysis, although the circumstances, I think, are very relevant. Uh, and then with the boat case, the one thing I want to add, and that would be uh, Mark Tinsley in the boat case, is to understand the context of the boat case and understand how this all relates to everything, is not only was the discovery there you know, being sought by uh, Mr. Tinsley, but there will be testimony. And again, this is all in transcripts, which they have. And, and uh, you know, I don't know. We've talked. I've talked with the defense about, you know, obviously they don't have to concede and they'll be able to cross and all the rest of it. But, you know, there, it is in transcripts. They've had a chance to review it, uh, whether or not that's sufficient, um, at least for an in-camera determination. But one of the things that Mark Tinsley will say was the very aggressive posture which they were taking in the boat case, which meant that Alec Murdoch was not a defendant of convenience, that the goal of the litigation, at least as it related to him, was a personal recovery. And that is why uh, he was proceeding so aggressively uh, in that particular case. Uh, Mark Tinsley will also say that, uh, and we'll talk about how that litigation was going, but we'll also say that after uh, the crimes of uh, June 7th, 2021, uh, that landscape completely changed. Uh, this was an extremely significant liability, and uh, the testimony will be that uh, that aggressive posture, seeking a personal recovery from Alec Murdoch, actually of $10 million, 
that they weren't coming off that, and that that was the manner in which that litigation was going. Once the murders happened, that was done, uh, and Mr. Tinsley will testify to that, at least the, the posture that they were taking. Judge Newman issues a partial ruling indicating that he has heard enough testimony to make a determination on whether prior bad acts evidence will be admissible with respect to the defendant's activities as they relate to his law firm, but that he still needs to hear testimony related to other alleged bad acts by the defendant before rendering a decision on their admissibility. Well, the court has heard sufficient amount of evidence to make a determination regarding clear and convincing evidence involving the, the law firm, and I do not need to hear from Mr. Cope or the other witness, Ms. Griswold, in order to make that determination of there being clear and convincing evidence. With regard to Satterfield, you do have a confession of judgment, which the court has not seen or reviewed. With regard to the boat case, there, there's been no testimony in the record regarding the impact of that on Mr. Murdoch's state of mind or the like. So Mr. Tinsley, uh, particularly considering the um, representations by counsel that the plaintiffs in that case were just seeking a financial statement, basically. And so the court can hear from Mr. Tinsley review the confession of judgment, then hear arguments from the parties once again regarding the admissibility of all of this uh, as relates to these other bad acts, and also the limitation, this if any. Again, Prosecutor Waters responds for the prosecution. Sir, I, two matters right now. I do have the confession of judgment, which I can mark, uh, as well as the disbarment. Uh, I don't believe that it require a full-blown trial on these matters for the court to make a determination of um, clear and convincing evidence. I do have one, uh, two issues. Uh, it would be, of course, we, we have the bank witnesses to establish that financial condition, and there, there's that. Yeah, which the bank we, witnesses all, also included. I overlooked yeah. mentioning the bank witnesses. I do have a pride and that we can definitely do that in the morning. Uh, I do have a problem, unfortunately, that Mr. Tinsley is not available in the morning, but can be here first thing uh, Monday morning, uh, Your Honor. We can handle the, the bank witnesses in the morning. Yeah. And again, we do have a transcript. Jim Griffin makes a brief argument as to why he believes the testimony of Mark Tinsley is not relevant. For context, Mr. Tinsley is the attorney who represented the family of Mallory Beach. Ms. Beach died from blunt force trauma and drowning when the defendant's son, Paul, crashed the family boat into a bridge. Okay. We, we have filed a separate motion with the court on the admissibility of essentially Mr. Tinsley's testimony for any consideration by the court because he's giving you know, a legal opinion. It's, it's a judicial decision. It's not Mr. Tinsley's decision. And we've submitted that to the court. So we don't think anything Mr. Tinsley has to say would be relevant, would be prepared to argue that tomorrow or tonight, if you'd like. Well, I, I, haven't, I don't, haven't received that motion. Yeah, here's a clocked-in copy. When was, when was it clocked in? January 24th, 2023. Jim Griffin hands a copy of the motion, which has been previously submitted to the judge at the end of the previous week. January 24th. I did see that I didn't realize that was was pertaining to Mr. Tinsley. Well, well, we'll address Mr. Tinsley's issue when Mr. Tinsley is available. Um, I cannot conclude based on argument that his testimony will only be uh, relate to a question of law. So we'll defer anything and any 
presentation until Mr. Tinsley is available, and then we can press on with the um, other witnesses tomorrow morning before the jury gets here. At 11.30, we'll start at 9.30. Hopefully that two-hour window would be, will be sufficient with a break in there somewhere. Uh, regarding the Satterfield matter, what's the defense's position on that? Your Honor, we agree that they have a confession of judgment. We agree that, that there's an order disbarring him for that conduct, and they concluded that that confession of judgment, even though it, it has a disclaimer, well, anyway, the, the Supreme Court concluded that is an admission, so uh, for purposes of disbarment, and I'd be hard-pressed to argue against that satisfying, clear, and convincing standard. And what year was that? The the, wrongful conduct. Well, yeah, well, the Satterfield matter, I, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it was quite some time ago. Satterfield issues separately. Uh, on, aside from the court, determining just the issues in general regarding whether or not this a testimony should be admitted on motive, identity, common scheme, race, just day. There's a separate issue regarding remoteness. Of course, I know the state believes that this is a thread that's woven through all of one thing to the other to the other that culminates in uh, conduct on June 7th. We'll, we'll, we'll hear arguments on that later. Not to belabor the point, uh, the, the additional ground would be uh, consciousness of guilt, which is a basis for admissibility. And again, that's that's kind of what we're uh, we're talking about. I mean, that goes under 404, but the case law is long, the consciousness of guilt. Uh, is fear of detection is, is a basis you for us. submitted something on that? Uh, I'll get you some additional cases on that, Your Honor. We'll have that for you by tomorrow. No, right. I'm not sure what act he is going under the consciousness of guilt prong to the extent it exists. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know either, Will. Well, again, he's, he's trying to avoid facing life without parole and the loss of his livelihood. And for the jury to understand that, it's more than just $792,000. It's, it's this entire time period. And that is really the issue, is avoiding uh, that detection. Okay, well, we've um, done enough on this day. We'll resume at 9.30. And with Judge Newman gaveling an end to day seven of the trial, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we begin our review of day eight of the trial with the in-camera testimony of Jan Malinowski, the CEO of Palmetto State Bank. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.
You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.